and welcome to the AB Forums podcast for Wednesday the 18th of November 2015 and joining me on this short edition is Mark Hodgkinson. Oh no, not again. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. Keep firing assholes. <laughs> Trust you. I wish Ed. I'd chosen that one now. Trust you. <laughs> welcome back to the podcast, Ed. Why not tell us what we can win if we're lucky? Well, uh, at the moment, you have a choice of, um, well, I say choice, you still have to win it, but you can enter. Uh, all members are eligible for um, the 60th anniversary release of The Lady Killers, which ends on the 27th of November, a fine film and uh, infinitely superior to the remake. And uh, you've got until the 30th of November, again, open to all members for uh, Edward Scissorhands, which, yeah, let's face it, you know, that was that's not, not a bad film in itself as well. I mean, obviously, it's not a cut on um, uh, the uh, porn ripoff Edward Penis Hands, which is sort of dropped <laughs> yeah, into... Yeah, let, let's not go there. Uh, we've, we've only, yeah. we're, we're only like one minute 30 into the podcast. Let's not just go there yet, just yet. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, um, those astute amongst you will have realised that the guy that does most talking on these podcasts isn't here. Um, so he's not here to defend what Sony did last week, which is basically they announced their 4K UHD Blu-ray lineup of discs to be launched in Phase 1. Mark, it's a bit lame, isn't it? A bit, uh, yeah. It's shockingly bad. What's the best of them? I, I guess, would it be Chappie? We've got Chappie, although I didn't really like that movie myself. We've got The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We've got Hancock. And then The Pierce Resistance, we've got Smurfs 2. Oh, and, and, and Pineapple Express, which is a is a stoner movie, if I remember rightly. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, what a load of... Sh- um, oh, sorry, what a load of rubbish that is, honestly. I think the point we're getting to here is who the hell's going to buy these? They're not gonna, just going to buy them just because of 4K. I mean, you know, I, I know I've done some silly things in the past, you know, going out and buying films that I normally, like Transformers, <laughs> I normally wouldn't buy, but have because it's it's got demo quality sound and, and picture. But I think they're pushing the arm just a little bit here with these releases. I mean, this is a hard sell of all hard sells, mm. never mind a new format, but... The, you know, there's nothing there, Ed, is there? To, the, I, the, I've got to be honest, from, from someone very much on the fence... Uh, on this one I say not on, fe- on the fence to the success of the format I'm pretty sure about what's going to happen here but in ter- you know there's n- not one of those films in any way shape or form would encourage me to uh, splash out on on the, on the hardware but I like who does as well you're not talking cheap either so these are not going to be 15 quid like Blu-rays are no. you know, these are going to be at least 20 quid yeah, 25-30 will be I guess which is twenty four ninety nine more than the Smurfs two is worth. I mean, you could live reenact Smurfs two, and I'm not going to pay twenty five quid for it. Yeah, it, it's the answer to a question that nobody asked. It's a I, bit. It's an awful insult, isn't it? Really. Are there titles within the Sony arsenal that are inexplicably not here? I'm I'm genuinely sort of a bit loose on. Well, they did, they did a few of the mastered in four K. Blu-ray releases recently, and well, they've obviously got the 4K Masters because yeah. it was mastered in it. So you're talking to stuff like um, the Fifth Element, which has got a big following on the forums. A lot of sci-fi fans on the forums, so big following for that film. Again, people are, are likely. I think I've triple or, or quadruple dipped on that film over the it's years. Got a bit, it's a bit of a visible spectacle that one as well. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. These so, aren't, are they? Really, no. by and large. And then you got. Um, I think Dracula was redone recently. Uh, Coppola's Dracula, which has Keanu Reeves doing an English accent, which is it, mighty. Yeah, it's just it, yeah, it's cringeworthy. Entertaining but, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, totally. But again, it supposedly had a, a Stonkin Atmos uh, soundtrack, and and you know, this is Sony Pictures, Columbia. You know, they've got a big, big arsenal of catalog titles as well as recent um, big cinema releases. Well, we have we've discussed in the past that. Obviously, there is a school of thought that says that you can't just nostalgia. So it's enthusiast by doing, you know, doing what we do and double, triple dipping, etc. There has to be new release stuff. But I'm, I, I was at whilst I, when I saw the, the the running order come through, I was just trying to work out: is there anything in Sony's recent sort of arsenal of released films that that, that are not not here? Uh, well, I mean, just stuff that, that that could do potentially quite well. I mean, Fury is apparently a Sony one. I, I mean, I'd be more inclined to buy that than any of the uh, the other ones here. Uh, American Hustle and Monuments Men, Django Unchained. I mean that, and Skyfall. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, the, well, the big one, Inspector. Well, uh, yes. You got to expect but, that that's going to be that's going to make its debut on 4K UHD Blu-ray. And I was just talking about obviously this this list of stuff is stuff that has 
already gone through at least one form of release. So I'm just reading off sort of stuff that's contemporary with that. And it's just like they've gone out of their way to just <laughs> choose shite. Mm. I, I think basically wrapping up on this rather quickly, it's a wasted opportunity with one. It's a lot of dross. Um, you know, even Hancock is not great. It's a Will Smith, and um, I thought it was really poor, to be honest. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I haven't seen the Amazing Spider-Man 1 yet. I haven't looked at the, the reboot of that franchise because I'm sick of superhero stuff. So for me, it, it's really disappointing because I really want 4K UHD Blu-ray to do well because I'd like to see that format. We're now getting the display devices through to take advantage of it. So, you know, I really hope it does do well. But on titles like this... I think we're all kind of along the same ag- agreement here that, that, that that's very lame. It's very lame. It's just like, like the cashing in on early adopters, that, you know, and the hope that people are going to do exactly what you didn't say they weren't going to do, Phil, and, and that's buy, you know, buy them just because they're 4K. Yeah. I think that's what they're hoping. Which yeah, is, that's, that's it, what it looks like. At least Fox had, had a decent slate. So, uh, yeah. you know, and this is wave one. So, you know, this... This is just what they're announcing now. We'll see at CES, I suppose. Um, and hopefully that's going to be the big push for the format because if it isn't pushed big at CES with actual physical um, machines that can be purchased within a few weeks of the show as well as software, Ed, it becomes an even bigger ask then. It's not looking good. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, we've been accused in the past of talking it down. Let's see what happens at CES. But at the moment... No one's doing anything that really, really helps themselves. It's just, it all looks terribly half-hearted. Okay, so is ULED, what is ULED anyway? Is it better than OLED, Mark? Um, Hisense, we've been talking them up a little bit in, in the last few podcasts because we have seen their products at trade shows like IFA and CES. A few years ago, they took over the massive Microsoft stand at CES um, and they have exhibited there over the last few years. All their technology is the same as Samsung and LG and Panasonic and the big four, basically. They, They seem to be just about to hit the UK mark um with some really promising tech i mean promising tech in so far as when steve put his report up from uh, last week's launch event for the 910 the xt910 4k tv we we were expecting a bit of a mixed bag in terms of comments and that, that didn't happen because we thought the enthusiast market they might question a new brand a new chinese brand coming into the market a little bit more but it seems to be that a real appetite for some really good up to the minute tech, but a decent, reasonable pricing. A, d- a decent reason is probably understating it a little bit. When you actually look at what we're getting with this, uh, the XT910 is their flagship player, a player, sorry, TV. Um, but they've they've got others lower down the range that have got pretty impressive specs as well. Um, yeah, this is uh, the XT910 65 inch um, TV, uh, retailing at around two thousand pounds, we believe. And for that, you're getting the probably the best spec sheet in the business right now. It's a 10-bit VA paddle, supports HDR 10. The manufacturers are saying it goes 900 nits peak brightness for the HDR, which is far brighter than the brightest Samsung, which is about 650, I believe. Um, HDMI 2.0, but upgraded to 2.0A with a software update when needed. Uh, it's quantum dot, obviously. It can hit... According to the manufacturer, 98% of DCI and 75% of Rec 2020. Uh, so that um, that's better than Samsung or Sony or or anyone right now in terms of uh, color space coverage. Uh, it's got active shutter 3D if you're interested in that. Uh, it's got 240 local dimming zones as opposed to I think it's 150 on the JS9500, which is Samsung's flagship. And 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 TV. 16 on the Panasonic. <laughs> And 16 on the Panasonic. So you've got to think, well, you know, backlight uniformity should be good. Lack of haloing on the dimming, it should be good. They've got the same, as you say, technology as um, Samsung, their um, Peak Illuminator Pro technology, which takes, um, it redistributes energy to the panel very efficiently. So if, if you've got like a, like a space scene on a really dark, a really dark scene, it can suck the energy it's not using and put it into the bright into the stars and make them brighter a kind of faux hdr if you like but it also works with the hdr tech um well, that's, that's smart exactly exactly what samsung do with theirs isn't it so yeah. you know it's 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 one of these things that you start looking at you look at the price and you think well where's the catch 
you know, that would be that, me, me being cynical, as I, as listeners know I am, um, and sometimes I play that role just to be a devil's advocate. But, you know, where is the catch with this? I'm not sure. It's the one. I'm not sure there's going to be one, you know. I'm, I'm really optimistic that this is going to be an absolutely stonking 65-inch HDR TV for two grand. And so, so if you're Samsung and LG and, to a certain extent, Sony and Panasonic and Philips, you're going to be... Our pants. I well, it think. does look, doesn't it, like we've discussed in the past that there appears to have been at least a slight effort amongst a number of the television, big television manufacturers, to try and use the introduction of 4K to just slightly bolster the sort of margins that they're operating on. Whether I, I, I don't know enough about Hisense to know to, to to work out, you know, if they are making very little on it or simply because of the scale of the operation and the strength of the domestic market that they just have lower overheads but this essentially completely and utterly undercuts that uh, whatever else has been going on they they just have different requirements and and a a different strategy to market i mean if you're a new company i guess you have to do what it takes to get yourself established and releasing something which is definably state-of-the-art for less than your rivals are doing not state-of-the-art is a pretty good way of going about it I mean, the problem with the UK market, and we've mentioned it a few times now, Mark, is, is the fact that it is saturated um, when it comes to TVs. I mean, we're past the whole switch to digital thing, which was a bit of a shot in the arm for a lot of manufacturers about two or three years ago. But now that that's out of the way, um, a lot of people have flat panels in the second or third rooms now as well. So it becomes a harder and harder sell to sell a new TV in, in such a market. Absolutely, it does. But um, it, the, as I just said, this is one way of doing it: is um, is release something that, on the face of it, it, it blows the competition out of the water for a, a greatly reduced price. It's, it's a, a, probably a, a good way to um, build up a bit of early momentum for sure and, and create a buzz and excitement. Um, if if it reviews, you know, like it looks, it's like it's going to, then there's going to be all sorts of awards coming its way. And High Sense are a massive company; they're the fourth largest TV manufacturer in the world now um, so they've got a lot of resource behind them um, Just a, it's just a case as you say Phil of building up that UK market the relationships with retailers or they, they appear to be already good so that they're in a lot of uh, yeah, well, that's, that's what large I was just retailers gonna, I was just going to come in and say that they've done the groundwork haven't they they're in John Lewis they're in yeah. Amazon they're in the big retailers where you know carries PC World and so on so you know they're going to be front and centre people going into these these premises, um, looking at TVs. So it looks like if they can keep the positivity, they're going to build a nice little brand name for themselves. Yeah, they're coming in high end as well, aren't they? Not high end of the pricing, but high end in terms of you know the, yeah, the which, product. Which is the next big big thing, isn't it? That's the exciting thing because I guess you know when we previously been discussing this ed and, and looking at where they've been positioning themselves in other marketplaces like the us um you're looking at this the the models at 499 so like the xt i think it's a 321 it's called which is like their entry level tv that's kind of where we thought we were going to see them come into the market but no they've, they've gone for the high-tech approach but undercutting not by a huge amount but undercutting the competition and offering um the same sort of quality no, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a shame that Steve's not here. I mean, obviously, it's unusual sort of talking and doing things like that. But uh, it's, I guess, the only from from my sort of perspective, the only thing that's going to be interesting is the is the devil being in the details. I mean, historically, and I don't, I don't want to stereotype. I don't want to make snap judgments. But where new arrivals in almost any given market often, you know, where where problems sort of make themselves felt is interfaces on-screen menus remotes control apps things like that i, I mean I, i'm i don't know exactly what additional stuff steve was sort of shown about the screens there but that's that's the sort of interesting bit for me um that's all in place had to be honest it's um, is it have you played yeah, about with the stuff I, no i've not played about it but no in terms of see i've seen it i've seen screenshots and, and yeah well we've seen it at trade shows as well so it's all in place it's all there Fine. i mean it's that's, even the smart platforms are you know, it's got Netflix, YouTube, Amazon yeah. 4K. Well, Amazon 4K. Yeah, I mean they've done the groundwork on this. They really have. So it's know, been this... a few years coming, hasn't it? Because we was it three years ago we predicted it 
and it was it's probably taken a year longer than we think than we thought it was going to happen yeah but, um, yeah yeah but again I mean, the, old, know, the odd one i mean this is if they've got that right they, they have avoided the main sort of pitfall i mean it's interesting if you look at um not magazine reviews but customer feedback for people that have bought the tesla electric cars all of the stuff that's fundamentally unique to tesla is extraordinarily good the only time when they seem to run into problems is the fact that after it's all said and done it's still an american car so people get a bit hung up on bits of the interior and the fact it doesn't ride or stop desperately well um it's just so i mean that was reading steve's piece that was the only thing i was sort of thinking throughout it's like okay so all the specification stuff is here but you know just it's day is if there's any, any holes in the day-to-day usability but if they've got that squared away then well a, bad luck everyone else really there's a guy in the forums with uh i think it's a 710 which is obviously at least one range down but he's he's more than happy with it he's one of these guys that's returned a few tvs for for various reasons you know backlight please mm. and all the rest of it and he's he's very very happy with it indeed the money's yep. paid for it. It's obviously not this model we're discussing right now, but it, it's a yeah. 4K TV with all the you know, the smart features and what have you. So he's very impressed. When it comes to the functionality and stuff, that's something we will leave for Steve because he will be getting a, a review sample in in the next two weeks. Um, we're also expecting a three two one in at some point. A three two one. I feel like ten months <laughs> in. Dusty bin. We should be getting that in. Was it this week, Mark, or the week after? I'm waiting for contacts. It, it should be this week, I believe. Yeah, okay. So we should be getting these TVs in pretty quickly. Um, we'll treat them the same as every other TV that comes through because uh, that's the way we do things. They are all tested exactly the same way on a level playing field. Um, the same test sequences, the same uh, measurements, all the rest of it. And we'll see We'll see how they do. Um, but it is promising. And, and again, you know, looking at this from a brand point of view, Ed, and you know, where were LG and, uh, and Samsung 10 years ago? Well, no, absolutely. Um, uh, with the and high sense of the added advantage of com- obviously now the South Korean market is just as sophisticated as anywhere else, but there there is enormous domestic requirements for what they're doing as well. Whereas you know all the way back, even further than ten years to be fair, but back in the heady days of Lucky Gold Star, there you know you were there wasn't even necessarily a huge domestic base to yeah. to get the successful whereas that's not something that high sense suffer from yeah so interesting stuff and i'm sure we'll come back to this probably next week when steve's back um, and get a little bit more in terms of usability and uh, hopefully we'll have some review samples through as well so we can uh, start discussing um just how good they are because uh, it looks promising on paper but you know the proof is always in the pudding isn't it ed and, and we mm. like our puddings well, I, I'm not a pudding person, but I, I know that I know that m- much proofing of puddings will take place. As I say, you, your reviewing process is is entirely impartial. It, it goes into Steve's porn dungeon, and you know you see what comes out the other end. <laughs> oh, I've never had it called that before. Anyway, uh, moving things on. Um, Roku snagged Amazon Instant Video last week. It came as a bit of a shock, Mark, because I don't think we were expecting this, were we? No. It wasn't. We weren't at all expecting it, given um, Amazon's behaviour with regards to uh, the competition recently, um, i.e. banning the sales of uh, the the competing devices, um, then sticking it on a direct competitor to the Fire TV and Fire TV stick is is, is an unusual move on the face of it. But then they've had a relationship with Amazon in the, in the States since uh, pretty much since they started. So perhaps it's just rubbed off there. And we know from having talk, spoken to Roku uh, UK press uh, office that they've been, pres- they've been hammering Amazon since they've launched in the UK. So maybe they've just given it. <laughs> but it's good news. It's great news for, um, for Roku owners. They've yeah, pretty totally. much got the, the full set now. Totally, because I, I was looking at the Roku 3 and thinking, oh, I really need to go and get a Fire TV, you know, just so I've got Amazon and that kind of thing. And, whoa, lo and behold, it pops up and, and it's there. Problem and it works solved. And it's, yeah, problem solved, totally. And got to say, I, I'm really quite enjoying the, the Amazon Instant Video. I've had a stick for a while, and i got to say, the, the, the streaming quality is better than Netflix. It is. full. T- yeah, you're getting 10 megabytes per second on the 1080p streams, and it's um, that's superior to the HD Netflix, which is about 7.5 megabytes. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it can look really, really good. Is that a segue into me? I've forgotten about watching HDR. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I actually got a chance to see um, a little bit of the uh, Ultra HD HDR uh, Mozart in the Jungle um, last week with the Samsung 
JS8500, 65-inch I had here for review. Um, and I'm a, I'm a bit mixed feelings about that at the moment. Um, so, I, so, so if I, Mark, I've got really frustrated feelings about this <laughs> HDR at the minute because I can't get any of the bloody clips to work with this Sony uh, projector I have in at the minute um, because unlike the TV, which has the player built into it and has the yeah. HEVC decoding and so on and, and HDR decoding built into the TV, the projector, I have to use a standalone device. You sent me up the the Video um, X6 Pro, which you reviewed a couple of weeks ago. I loaded up all the clips onto that, plugged it into the uh, into the Sony projector, and uh, the media player doesn't like them. It'll play the 4K clips. It'll play my uh, Canada footage that I shot on a GH4 and 4K, uh, proper 4K as well. You know, yeah. not UHD resolution, but proper yeah. 4K resolution, and it plays it back, and it looks absolutely stunning. Yeah. You know, I'm not blowing moan trumpet there. No, but it does. Oh, it no, it just does, looks yes. unbelievably good. But the HDR stuff. Um, I tried and I tried and I tried and finally I got a Sony promotional thing um, for Cine Alta. Uh, so that's the pro cameras, the pro 4K oh, yeah. cameras. It was a clip of a, a Japanese mum and and daughter on a boat at night and the boat had all the interior lighting on but you could still make out the city skyline through the windows. Quite impressive but, you know, we can all make little demo clips like that and make things look extremely good when you're using professional equipment like that and you're you're doing like a 30-second promo reel like the, the OLED promo reels that the LG and Samsung yeah. do in 4K and all this. It's, it's easy to make things look good. What you want to see is motion picture stuff and the motion picture stuff that's, that exists at the minute, I can't get it to play on, the, on the, the outboard media player. So at the moment, I can't test a display device that is in for testing. I can't test it for HDR. It's quite frustrating, isn't it? it I mean, is. it, it kind of shows you where we're at with the uh, format at the minute, I suppose. You know, incompatibility with connections and players and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I guess that's all going to get better quite soon. Um, it, it, but, ha- yeah. it has to because at the moment, like I say, it's unusable. And I'm, you know, you're sending me boxes that I would have to have gone out and purchased that otherwise. And, you know, if I was a consumer or a punter that, that paid £8,000 for this projector, um, I'd have to go and find these solutions and, and plug them in and then find that they don't work. Um, I think you'd find that it's only Sony's player that's going to work reliably with that projector right now, I'm guessing. And uh, they promised they were going to send it along with some 3D glasses and that was two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, well, you got to keep it a bit longer, really. <laughs> um, but anyway, you, you get working on the on the, uh, on the this Samsung TV, which will be up, uh, the review will be up by the time this podcast goes out. So what did, you, what did you make of the HDR that you actually got working on it? Right, so for a start, I watched Mozart in the Jungle and I watched two episodes of it because I couldn't really get into it, to be honest. I'm not just going to watch something because it's HDR other than for work purposes. So I watched two episodes of that and ran it against um, either Fire TV or the Roku, 1080p, one of them. I just kept switching inputs anyway and and, and looking at at various scenes throughout. And I was pretty mixed feelings about it, to be honest. Uh, I'm not sure that Mozart in the Jungle is going to be the best example of HDR. I mean, it's understandable considering it's the first, but... um, that a lot of the dark scenes are pretty washed out and just occasionally colours look completely wrong and it just, you know, sometimes it looks stunning and there are bits that you just go, wow, that's, that looks amazing. But then it'll jump to the next scene and it's and it, it's, it's mainly the washed out look, really, in the black. So you, I couldn't... I couldn't really, I couldn't really get on with it for long enough. Well, you see that um, that, that kind of points it. to either the metadata not working or, or the gamma curve not being correct. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I could, I could go and try and calibrate to a, a different gamma curve and see if I got any more, any more joy. But I don't. I'm not sure that I would. Um, and is is Joe public? Yeah, of course not. Of course not. They're just going to look, look at it and think, oh, that doesn't that doesn't look too good at times. So um, yeah, I, mixed feelings. I, I need to see more. What I would say is the clips of say um, Exodus um, and the other one. What's the other? One? Life of Pi. Life of Pi that Samsung have got on their demo clip. Look incredible um much better much more contrasting but it seems like the it just seems like the master the mastering on um on mozart in the jungle isn't so good it's just it's just it just doesn't look quite right all the time sometimes i say sometimes it looks great other times no that kind of points to some incompatibility somewhere that, 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 that would be my thinking because you wouldn't deliberately put something washed out out would you so yeah, nah. it seems like there's something technically not quite right there. It might be, might be worthwhile speaking to Amazon again and seeing. Yeah, it, it would be. I think it, it probably is. I, I just, I was. It was just kind of. Nah, <laughs> I'm hoping for better from uh, from bigger budget movies and TV. Yeah. So uh, yeah, again, uh, this kind of points to where we are at the moment, where 
lots of formats, lots of different. I'm still not and... rushing to get shot. I, I am content where I, I mean, obviously there are any number of things competing for my slender resources, but it would just, we're at, at 2004 in comparatively in sort of eight HD terms, you know, you, you, there is stuff out there. And by, by that point there was stuff you actually wanted to watch out there, but it's still patchy. There's still some concerns over compatibility. It's just, I don't feel at the moment I'm missing out hugely. Yeah. That's the, the basic crux of it. I, I downloaded uh, the Force Awakens Star Wars trailer thinking it was the 4K because it was labelled as the 4K version. It's not. It was a 2K. <laughs> but obviously the advantage of this projector is it's a native 4K projector. It upscaled it. And I've got to see on a scope screen when it was zoomed out to fill the scope screen. Oh, I can't wait. I had to get Star Wars in there somewhere. Sorry. Who did? <laughs> I can't believe you've done that. Of course I can believe you've done that. <laughs> what, what am I saying? <laughs> Oh, I just can't so, wait. It looks it looked amazing yeah, on the ten foot screen in scope. And oh, yeah. uh, right. So let's move on to some reviews. Ed, we haven't heard from you for a while. So we've been looking at some headphones. We actually had these in before they yes, launched. We got sent the Sound Magic P fifty fives ahead of their UK launch, uh, which was very nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. People that got in very very early on my review. Uh, when they were sent to me, and when I had a chat with uh, the distributor at the EFA show, the P55 was a £200 headphone. And basically, I did most of my listing and reviewing thinking, this is a really well-sorted pair of £200 headphones. Uh, and then on launch day, uh, lo and behold, they're actually 150 quid. So, yeah, it's a, they are a very, very good pair of headphones for £150. They are beautifully made. Um, they are comfortable. They are well thought out. As I say, the, my only complaints are that it doesn't come with a long cord. Um, you get two short cords, one well, one point two meter cords, one with a remote, and one without. Uh, so if your equipment is a long way away at home, uh, it's not as good. You'll need an extra cord aftermarket, but it's not difficult to do. But otherwise, they are almost viceless. Uh, and what's very interesting is that Sound Magic have made the very conscious decision there's no tweaking of the frequency response to sort of either make them sound artificially more exciting or artificially smoother they are very very down the line very flat very even frequency response so if you listen to them against a lot of the competition just side by side you think mm, that doesn't sound as exciting but when you actually spend a bit of time with them you begin to realize that this is a very very honest accurate and very appealing sounding pair of headphones the caveat to that being for the love of God, don't listen to them until they've got lots of hours on them. I've not had uh, an affordable product in a long time which needed as long just being run before they sounded right um, than these. Um, and just heading off, I don't know if it, it hasn't been asked on the review. I know if people are wondering. Uh, there is undoubtedly an, an, a little element of sort of uh, psychosomatic and psychological adjustments to the way something sounds as well as it improving. But one of the advantages of that Chord Mojo uh, DAC that was reviewed last month is that every time you turn it on, it goes back to exactly the same settings as it did when you last switched it off. So there were no changes to level. I pretty much went straight back to the piece of music I'd been listening to 12 hours previously after another 12 hours of running and the difference was pretty considerable. So if you are going to buy a pair, just have the patience and the presence of mind to put a good 24, 30 hours on them and then sit back and listen to what is a very, very good pair of headphones. For, for a, a headphone laddie like me who, um, you know, <laughs> the brands I know stop it, sort of Sennheiser, Denon, Audio Technica, that kind of. Mm. Kind of where do Sound ma Magic sit? Well, they are. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting having spent so much time talking about Hisense. There are some unusual parallels. They are a Chinese company. Um, they uh, were set up, um, I suppose, now about seven years ago. Uh, back when I was still working full-time on a magazine, I got sent a pair of the E10 earphones. Um, I was told, these are a bit good. I was like, well, this at 30 quid, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And they were absolutely brilliant. And it's it's 
there are, I mean, it's less of a, of a high technology exercise than uh, Hisense, but some of the same principles are there. Very, very high quality engineering, um, good quality materials used throughout, very, very um, solid and, and, and well thought out design practice, and then delivering it at a price that most of the rivals struggle to do. As I say, it's an ex- the P55 is a great £200 pair of headphones, and they are going out the door for 150 quid. If they had longer cables, I'd ask for some for my Christmas. Well, days. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's, it's they're not completely stupid. Uh, it's just a three and a half mil socket on the headphone. Oh, is it? Right? Um, so you could easily, you know, I think an, a, a long cord on Amazon is about four pounds. It's I'm just the um, competition, uh, specifically thinking about Focal's Spirit One S and the Audio Technica MSR Seven. They come with a short cord with a remote and then a long remoteless cord about three meters which is just so much more useful for home use yeah that's what i'd need about three um, meters but equally uh just com- i mean the sound magic is all it, essentially it's with the obvious exception of like the pads and the like it's all metal it's be- i mean they are beautifully made and nice and subtle with it i mean obviously I, I, speaking as an increasingly old person i guess that my requirements are different to um to 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 to, to youth but they just a nice grown-up looking pair of headphones. There's no luminous bits or flashing bits or desperately trying to be beats by Dre. It's just all good. And what what are they up against at that price level then, Ed? Well, going back, Focal's Spirit 1S is an extra £10. It's 160 quid. Um, the Focal's a bit more exciting in the way it sounds, and it's a bit lighter. If you're going to spend a lot of time out and about with them, uh, I think the Focal might edge it there, although it's not as good a home headphone. And then for £200, you can have the Audio-Technica MSR7, which we also reviewed a bit of time ago. They are exquisitely comfortable, um, and they are also extremely well, well made. Um, but that, if you like, is a home headphone which you can you know, sort of use in a nomadic sense. The Sound Magic's quite clever in that they have gone to the effort of ensuring that it's it, it, it's a very good balance between something which you can use at home and use on the move so i mean don't get me wrong there's more 150 to 200 pound headphones even if i devoted all of my review slots <laughs> we'd never get through it but right. these are really quite something quite impressive piece of kit okay so um you've looked at headphones but but another product which it's always intrigued me, and we've we've never really had it, had the time basically to get in for review. But I, I specifically asked you a couple of weeks ago, can we try and get the Zeppelin in from B and W? It's it's been re relaunched uh, with some new features. So, you know, what do you think, Ed? It is yeah, I, I think design wise it looks beautiful, but you know, beautiful things don't necessarily mean they sound nice. Well, it's a funny one. Um, I've always looked at it, and I've just thought it's not a great use of space. It's one of those things where it's a great piece of industrial design. I'm thinking that's taking up quite a lot of physical room for, and then actually leaving you a bit sort of tight. But this latest iteration, Zeppelin Wireless, uh, it, it turned up. I only actually got it out of the box this morning. I'll be completely honest with you. But um, it, they have actually, Bose and Wilkins have been quite clever here because it's still very recognisably a Zeppelin, but they've, altered the footprint and the form factor slightly and whilst it's still probably not the most practical practically shaped device out there it's just a little bit more compact um they've some nice little tweaks and adjustments and um yeah uh, i've been playing about with it all morning and it there's there's a lot to like um i mean we'll be, I'll be doing getting a full review out uh, as quickly as is practical to do um and you know, I, I, there are some some parts of the spec which I'm going to have to investigate. Yeah, I mean, obviously, again, we're talking about running in headphones. We like to run these products. In, oh so, no, absolutely. It, so, yeah, run, I'm not it? I'm not expecting your final verdict here, but as, in terms of a first look, and there's a first. There's a lot to like, um, and it's there's a review coming up for another product in this category. It's going to go live this month from Geneva, and I questioned that it was very very capable but there were some parts of how features have been implemented which just didn't feel that slick by comparison this feels like everyone involved in the design of this product worked very closely communicated all the time 
with everyone else and everything was done in-house by the same people. It does feel very cohesive, very clever and very well worked out. Um, and, you know, given that this is a, a premium product with a premium price tag, that's that's very important. Um, so I'm hoping that, the, that we get some hours on it, start playing about with some of the other bells and whistles and it continues to deliver. Excellent. So... Uh, that's audio-wise. We're going to have our music roundup in a little while on the podcast, but moving to our last hardware subject of the day, uh, we've already discussed 4K UHD Blu-ray. It's coming next year, um, but you had the Sony flagship Blu-ray player through, Mark. Um, I think you'd looked at the S4500. I've seen the S5500, and this is the flagship, the S6500. And I... Looking at it, I think the only difference between it between them is that this does 4K upscaling. As far as I could make out, between between the one you did and the one I did, uh, uh, sorry, this one, not the four five hundred, which is missing a couple of features that this one does. Um, yeah, I don't. I think that's it. I think that's it's just the Ultra HD scaling, uh, which is it'll set you back an extra sixty five pounds at the minute online, which is it's a it's, that's a big sell because yeah, because if you've got a four K TV, um, I think all of them do exceptionally good upscaling. Yeah, it, so it's it's, it. it's relatively easy, isn't it, to scale from 1080p to, to Ultra HD? Um, um, certainly with the technology that's here now, that you don't really get any any scaling problems, even on the sort of the cheaper TVs. Um, they generally look pretty sharp. Um, yeah, so it's 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 only 129 pounds 99, I guess. So it's not it's not a particularly expensive item, and certainly not, it's not really flagship pricing. But then. Blu-ray is a bit of a hard sell right now, and particularly with um, Ultra HD around the corner, if people are thinking of buying a new player, then they're probably going to be more inclined to wait and see the see the pricing on the Ultra HD players and yeah. commit to a scaling player. Yeah, because I mean, like Blu-ray, it, it has to be backwards compatible. So, I guess you know, in the next twenty-four months, we're going to see Blu-ray players disappear and be replaced by four K UHD players that play Blu-ray on DVD and CD, and you know, it, it's like it has with Blu-ray. I mean, I. I can't remember the last time I saw a DVD player on a shelf for sale. No, that's that's the point. I've not gone out my way to look for one. Longer to die out than you'd ever give credit for, but no, we are now that that time has now passed. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. So I guess the next twenty-four months we're going to see the same with the four K players. That's if the four K players take off, which I think they will. But um, so, yeah, do you need to go out and buy this player? I mean, it's only one hundred thirty quid, but at the same time, you know. Can, can you wait six months? I guess is yeah, the question. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you if you if your machine's not broken down and and you've no you know you've no real rush, and I, I would be more inclined just to hang on and wait and see you know if there's a two hundred quid Ultra HD player or one hundred and fifty quid Ultra HD player around the corner, which hey, it wouldn't surprise me if there was to be honest. So yeah, I, you know it's, it, was, it does nothing wrong. There was it had some good points. This display it detected twenty four p from some of the streaming services and, and showed it as twenty four p, which I, is I'm unusual. pretty sure. The fifty five hundred did that as well. Yeah. I, I normally test what the signal is, and it was twenty four. Yeah, the forty five hundred didn't do that. So you know, that's 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 a nice little extra. But yeah, you could just I would say just if you're in desperate need and can't hold on, just go and buy the one the one down from this. Save yourself half the price, and and then buy an ultra HD player when you need to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it got a recommended because it, it does nothing wrong and it's got some cool features. But yeah. Don't, I mean, yeah. a Blu-ray player is a Blu-ray player. Um, as long as it plays the Blu-ray correctly, um, you know, it can it can be as small and in light and as plasticky as it wants, as long as it's it's performing its role, which is it's supposed to do. The only real differences you would get are going to be if you decide to go analog stages for your audio, then you're going to go for a more expensive player. But I guess the vast majority of players, for the vast majority of people, it's a one-box solution. They're, as long as you keep the the picture set to out of the box, which is normally bang on what's on the disc, yeah. it's, it's sent to the TV. Then it's really kind of hard to to look at a Blu-ray player and say, "Well, that one's better than this one," because it, it then comes down to the features involved. Well, that's um, it. It's what, what apps has it got that you yeah. need? You know, it, it kind of comes down to that almost these days. You know, does it got what? Does it got Wi-Fi? Do I need Wi-Fi? Has it got 3D? Do I need 3D? You know, it's these are the choices you're making. Really, not not any performance uh, boosts, as it as it were. Yep. So yeah, it's it's nothing wrong with this player, but I, I, if you don't need a new one, if you don't really need a new one, hang on, see what's around the corner. Okay, so um, with Steve being away, normally we take the the advantage um, to be a little bit more music orientated uh, because we've got Ed on the podcast, and and Ed is uh, an authority 
amongst the four of us anyway. When it comes to... He is to, the music man. And to do music you, um, man. Do, he do comes from down our way. consistently <laughs> enough for you to still go off and have a wee like you do with Steve? <laughs> yeah, you need to do that. No, hey, you know, yeah, 48 minutes. <laughs> hey, genuinely interesting what you got to say, Ed. Um, so, what are you going to talk about in a music roundup? Um, no, I'll tell you what we're, we're going to call this. Ed's Music Box. Oh, bless. There you go. Um, so, do so, I get an interesting sound over as well? Um, I'm working on no. it. I'll, I'll, uh, ins- I'll insert it here if there is. Right, well, um, something that uh, actually you and I have Skype discussed um, and I've been doing a little bit more reading on was um, a fairly bizarre on the face of it news story um, that uh, at the moment for the vast majority of artists um, their re- um, revenue from uh, vinyl sales is comfortably higher than what they're actually getting out of uh, YouTube and other sort of online uh, online systems despite there being this talk that it's sort of that you know youtube is a, is a vi- is able to create viable uh, revenue streams and all the rest of it um it just at the moment uh isn't happening and the more that you um sort of read up about this it, i obviously as you know i'm a huge vinyl fan but this is not so much uh, a celebration of how successful vinyl is i mean it's doing perfectly well but it's still very much a fringe thing it's just that all of these online playback systems just aren't making anyone any money um and this obviously presents an issue for for artists um there's an sort of an element that uh you know whilst we can quite happily look back at some of the practices of record industries in the preceding sort of 25 years and, you know, think, well, you reap what you sow. And there's undoubtedly an element of that. Um, I still don't think it's particularly fair that people should be asked to, you know, put work for free. So where it gets interesting is how artists are responding to this and, um, you know, the options available to them in terms of, you know, stemming the tide or working with what you've got. And it does divide quite sim- quite sort of simply into, into those sort of options. If you are an artist with enormous clout, either someone that's been around for a, a fairly long time with an older fan base, or if you're Taylor Swift, you can effectively rigorously police both YouTube and the streaming services and, and keep, your, um, keep your, your music off them. And, and demand that it's listened to through more sort of conventional revenue-paying streams. Unfortunately, uh, if you're not Taylor Swift, that's not really an option. You, you don't have the choice to do that. Um, and it's going on about how the, the mechanics of how bands are making money have changed quite considerably. Uh, physical media is just one sort of small part of this, and it can't be... Uh, ever considered to be the mainstay of this because the number of people depending on physical media be it vinyl be it cd be it paid download just isn't that high but um using these services as a means of raising awareness of the band's existence and then pushing merchandise doing a lot more in the way of touring and live performances and festivals and the like and and doing earning revenue via these means appears to be the the 21st century model the the streaming services exist to to sort of fulfill the role that commercial radio is slowly sort of dying away from which is raising awareness in the first place and then you monetize people's interest in you by doing what streaming services can't be go and see them interact with the band have a great night out and that appears to be the way, the way forward but it does mean that for categories which are less about live performances or there is plenty of live performances but it's not a case of filling an enormous venue um and items like jazz and, and things like that that's much more of a challenge um there's no easy answers for what they can do it's interesting i mean vinyl uh, making the same amount of money this year compared to 1994 
Yeah. And vinyl was still available in some quantities back in 1994. You could buy it in Smiths in 1994. Yeah. So that's interesting that it's, it's actually bringing that, that amount of revenue this year. And yeah, it, interesting again, you know, um, you look at YouTube and, and other places like that where the official videos are shown and so on. They're making pennies off of that. Yes. Which is, and like you say, I mean, yeah, it takes a lot to be a pop star or a successful band or whatever, but do people seriously think that, that they should be working for free? It's entertainment, so it should be free. Um, that certainly seems to be a bigger problem with the younger generations. Now, not our generation, but, but younger generations. There seems to be this almost entitlement. Yeah, that, that it's, it's very strange. To. But equally, when you drill down into this, there is a sense that simply listening to it on a computer or phone or something like that, they shouldn't be paying for that. And you, we can argue the rights and wrongs of that until we're blue in the face. But whilst there are people just consuming free music and contributing nothing to it, by the same token, as I was saying, there are people in, in, in the, the, these sort of younger points where they do fully ex- accept that it, you know, they don't want, they don't want a CD, but they do want a t-shirt. They do want um, sort of items like that. And they will, Go out and, and 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 go go to the gig, go to the venue, and 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 see see the band live. Um, and it's a different relationship with bands because of that. Um, it does then mean that there's this awkward step up from being, you know, relatively successful to being international is quite a challenge because you can't as easily interact with people outside of the country that you start up in until people are willing to put some money behind it. And that's it, getting bands to go international is quite, it, it, with this new model, it's going to be quite an interesting challenge. It's yeah. something that requires people who aren't going to see, labels who aren't going to see necessarily see a huge return unless they're you know very lucky having to take a bit of a chance. And that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. But... You know, equally we can say, you know, I, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, a lot of this from a record label perspective is is entirely self-inflicted. Um, they have, at every every turn, their response to the internet has been desperately reactionary. They're always running to catch up, and it's it at no stage has anyone just gone right. These these are the new rules. How do we how do we monetize it? It's like we don't accept these new rules. You must go back to the old rules, mm-hmm. and that just historically has never worked. My gigging days are probably long gone, Ed. <laughs> there was a time when I went, I was out most weeks. I don't know about you, Mark. Were you uh, you got many gigs? I mean, you were quite, no, quite, quite close gigs, to Manchester. No, more, no, more nightclubs rather than like, you know the house nights. I mean, I went to a few. I went to a few, but yeah, I certainly uh, those days are pretty much behind me as far as I know. Can you remember any of them? <laughs> Mm, not many <laughs> <laughs> but I think you, you make a good point there Ed because all the bands that I've seen live I then tended to go and, and almost buy the full catalogue um, yeah. of, of CD and, and whatever because it, I think there's something about a live performance and, and connecting with a band that way I mean there's been a few but I think that the one that was most influential over me over a number of years was um, Manic Street Preachers You know, yeah. when I originally saw them as a four piece and then as they progressed through the whole really successful period of winning Brit Awards and all sorts with them, um, uh, very successful period. I think it was the late 90s, wasn't it? Into yeah, well, the millennium. this is my so, truth, tell me yours and exactly, everything yeah, go. Yeah, they were the biggest hits. And, yeah. and then carrying on to where we are now, I mean, um, so I've probably seen them about seven or eight times, but you just build up that relationship with more with the music than the band, really. Or the, and Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the interesting things, it's mainly at the moment something that the Americans have managed to get a, ha- a handle on, it's it's beginning to put an appearance here, um, is um, essentially venues being able to record the band on the night. And you can go back to the band website a couple of days afterwards and you can buy the recording of when you were there. It's your live album. It's not, That's clever. not one of the generic <clears throat> ones. Yeah. And people do seem to be willing to spend out for that. It's, you know, it was, takes you back to the, the, the show that you saw at the time you saw it. Yeah. I and mean, it's, it's funny you say that because I hunted out a CD single because I was there for the recording on the, or what would traditionally be known as the B side, which was a cover of train in vain, which yeah. was done at the Metro arena. In Newcastle, and I was desperate because that was the only time they ever did that as a cover. 
and I heard it live though, and, and then trying to find it again, um, it took took a long time. It turned up on a great sets album eventually, but yeah, um, I actually went out of my way to to import it from Japan. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a case of making a connection with people, and we ultimately <laughs> capitalism will out people who are ambitious and forward thinking and know what their fans are about will find ways of doing quite well out of them. Um, but it'll be a two way relationship. If they take them for granted, they'll bugger off pretty quickly. So um, it's going to be different. I mean, I think we're going to see fewer and fewer sort of stadium rock style. Like I, the, the number of giant artists will one diminish over time as, as the old guard retire or die. And the replacement number of people that reach true superstardom is just going to be proportionally smaller. Well, I think I think you can guarantee that you're never going to see the likes of the Stones or U2 again in terms of how big and how global well, successful I mean, I, they are. I think it's important to say never say never, but it's much, yes, the, the intervals between there being a global sound are going to be going to be longer and there's going to be fewer people reaching that status at any any given time the good news is that one of the areas where moving away from physical media is actually a benefit the stumbling blocks to getting your music out there in the first place are reducing all the time it is now a much easier business to get your recordings into public atten- uh, public attention through websites like Bandcamp and the like than it ever used to be. When you you know back in you know back when burning CDs was something that was you know done on a on a pro level and was heartbreakingly expensive. Getting any level of demo media out there was tremendously expensive and tremendously difficult and if you pressed 300 or something and that fundamentally they all went to the, the 300 wrong people you've um you know you achieve nothing whereas at least with with as going back to websites like Bandcamp, and it's not that hard to actually read list, listed on spotify or other services at least you've got more chance of being picked up and and making it to the next step did, I, did you all get to go for a wee? Were you all monologued out? No, I stayed and listened to the <laughs> Stayed and listened to it. We're interested, Ed. Uh, anyway, so um, I guess we we need to wrap up quite quickly because we are surprisingly running out of time. Uh, right, so to, to wrap up, we're going to quickly look at, uh, because the nights are, are drawing in, it's getting dark, the new TV series uh, get running. Um, we get new promos coming along, new pilots, and uh, this is the make or break period for for a lot of these uh, studios mark a lot of the streaming services as well launching new content so you've been having a look at at the pick of probably what's the best for november and december and what have you come up with um yeah it struck me actually that i don't watch as much tv as i did this time last year i probably would have been had four or five seasons on the go or something but i've I've only watching two things at the moment so we'll start there um my current favorite is fargo uh, which isn't getting a lot of attention on the forums. It hasn't got one of the biggest discussion threads in the TV um, shows forum. Um, but I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's available on Channel 4, All 4 and Netflix if you can switch your region to uh, Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, Switzerland, several others. Which so, everyone except me can do. <laughs> yeah. So Unless you're Ed, you can, you can probably manage to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's quite straightforward. Um, yeah, love that. Um, the other one I'm watching at the minute I'm absolutely hooked on is Bloodline uh, on Netflix which is uh, it's absolutely gripping it just got me straight from the off the the storytelling in it is is amazing I just kind of felt at home with the characters and and, and the plot and everything Uh, as soon as 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 I started watching it I'm I'm just I think it's marvellous so that's recently out on Netflix in 4k Um, have you started watching this one um, Phil, it's Mr. Robot on Amazon. Now, this is we discussed this last week when uh, Amazon Prime popped up on the Roku. I haven't started it yet. I watched the trailer. I kind of know what the premise is. It's very contemporary. It's very, very now. Um, it is very, very now. It's getting absolutely rave reviews as well it? from right, forum, okay. uh, forum members as well as, as well as, uh, as professional critics. Uh, it's got a cybersecurity engineer by day, vigilante hacker by night. Uh, that probably sets the picture enough. Um, I'm I'm going to start watching this because it, it, yeah, to me it looks it looks well worth it. Yeah, I'm going to start it next week, I think. Um, 
Homeland season five. Is that is is that on? Do you watch that, Ed? Homeland. Uh, well, now I some I keep an eye on it. Kurt, my wife is a big fan of it. I respect the fact it's a, it's um, a, a a really well crafted piece of television. Um, but we've had this conversation before. I watch television for silly, um, uh, so it's all a bit serious. Um, but nonetheless, it does look jolly good and jolly bleak. So it, if, it that's does. Your th- yeah. if that's your thing, yeah, yeah. get stuck in. Yeah, I, I say I've just start. I've just started on season two on that one, so I'm, I'm playing catch up. But it is, it's fab. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and this is one I don't. I don't do zombies, but a lot of people say I should for this one, which is The Walking Dead. Um, that's that's a new season just out. Uh, actually, I'm, I've let myself down here because I don't know where Walking Dead's available. Is that Amazon and Now TV? I think it's Now TV. Yeah, I think it might be on Amazon as well. You know. Um, and then a couple of superhero ones for those that like this sort of thing. Um, Jessica Jones is just out on Netflix. Um, and Supergirl is out on Sky One and Now TV. That seems to be getting quite a lot of attention in the forums. I'm not sure why. Um, can, can, I, that, can I give a suggestion? Yeah. Sky One, Now TV, The Muppets, The New Muppets. Oh, yeah, I must do that. Because the kids like the Muppets as well, so that, that's a perfect excuse. I feel it's like a punchline. Where it's a joke where everyone's got the punchline except me. I just can't stand them. I I I I watched about four minutes of it. I, I, there's there's a couple of Muppet movies that I really like. Christmas Carol. Is, yeah, that's great. You know, I really love that. I think it's brilliant. I'm not really a big Muppets fan, but my my best mate is, and he oh mate, you got to see this. It's really funny. And I played the clips, and they were genuinely funny. Um, so I'm going back to to watch it from uh, I think you still get episode one of the new run so I'm going to go and watch them uh, is, is it geared towards children or is it geared towards adults there's, there's, it... de- there's definitely an adult theme yeah. to it. it's it's kind of I would pitch it like the Simpsons sort of, uh, like classic Simpsons where the kiddies we get for the for the funny yeah. interactions and there's adult humour there good stuff that, yeah that sounds that sounds perfect um, and then just looking ahead into the new year we'll have um, Game of Thrones season six and I've just learned that Richard E. Grant is joining the cast which makes me Quite happy. I think he'd be absolutely superb. <laughs> game of the finest wines. But yeah, well, the, if, uh, he's got to play it like that. He has got to play it like that. That will be just so good. Um, yeah, and that's that's the ones I, that I've got on my radar. I've got some suggestions as well. Because uh, for the fully stupid end of you know, for people like me who have suffered a serious brain injury, um, Sky Living, uh, the fourth season of Elementary, kicks off. Um, next week, nineteenth. Oh no, this week, nineteenth. Is that that's not on now TV? Is it? I don't know. It has great, but it's the Johnny Lee Miller um, take on Sherlock, and it's much more of a crime procedural. But in some ways, and I know this is you know something that appears to be heresy to say if you're British, but in some ways, it's comfortably superior to what the BBC is doing. Um, It's a much more interesting Sherlock Holmes. Let's put it like that. Um, so that's normally quite good, and it's rare in this day and age in so much as it has season-arcing plot things, but it also is quite episodic, which I find to be quite satisfying uh, in this day and age. Um, and then, uh, just in case that's a bit highbrow for you, uh, at some point in December, season six of Hawaii Five O kicks off. Um, <laughs> now, for my sins, I've watched every single episode from the first episode of season one, and at no stage have I ever needed to apply any level of thought to it. But it's pretty, <laughs> and it's noisy, and it's stupid, and it's escapist, and it's fun. So I, I don't feel I need to be... Um, I don't need to justify myself. If you're with me on this one, it's great. If not, there's lots of serious things and bleak things for you to watch and leave this one for me. Of course, uh, of course uh, working from home, um, being being able to switch TV on during the day and look at daytime TV, uh, I've got to say that the, the best TV series of all time is still Homes Under the Hammer. Um, well, no, there's a lot to be said far. for that. Although, Phil, in daytime TV terms, I know it initially broadcasts in the in the evening, but it, it's more when it returns later on for for daytime viewing. There's <laughs> another season of Air Crash Investigation. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, and thing, let's face it, there's no shortage of plane crashes. Yeah, to deal well, with well, there is that. There's, there's a whole, at least another two seasons worth yeah, <laughs> yeah. From, from the last. Few. But the thing with Holmes Under the Hammer, uh, it was something that Dave Gorman did did uh, a while back on oh, his the music um, thing. With the thing with the music editor, and and it's great because you sit there and you wait for the line, and then you think, what what song is it going to be? And nine times out of ten, you get it wrong because it's some really random 
yeah. song that they use for the setup. It's not the obvious one that you think it's going to be. And and again, you know, when he did the whole people walking in the rooms, it's something that I'd never ever picked up on watching <laughs> it because of the music and the voiceover and everything else. You, you just yeah. let it wash over you. Um, but actually, when you take the music away, just press mute and then watch what they're actually doing. And it's just people walking into a room and they stop and they look up and they look around <laughs> and then they walk back out of the room again. Well, <laughs> And um, it's literally that, 40 minutes of the same thing. On that uh, on that sort of note, did you see that that there was at uh, some point there was a discussion of James Bond when Mark Gastis was involved? And he has this thing, He, under no circumstances normally, is A View to a Kill a great film. But if you watch it in the mind that it's about a confused old man who thinks he's a secret agent, <laughs> apparently it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go and watch that now. <laughs> And on that bombshell, um, that's all we get time for this week on the podcast. My thanks to Mark Hodgkinson. I've lost my quote page. It won't load. <laughs> that's a great quote. Fantastic quote. And Ed Selly. No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. And uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. And, of course, you can leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and we'll read your name out on the show in the future. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.